Beltone Hearing Aid Center presents The Drive. Ready, fight! The Drive. Elmore deep, left side three, it's good! From 30 feet, John Elmore! The Drive with Paul Swan. Welcome into the Tuesday, November 13th edition. Your drive begins now here on ESPN 94.1 FM and AM 930. I'm your host, Paul Swan. Coming up later in the program, we're going to hear from Marshall head football coach Doc Holliday. Plus, we're going to hear from seniors Chase Hancock, Ryan B. Get their thoughts on Senior Week. But first, we want to welcome to the program the keynote speaker from the 48th Memorial Fountain Ceremony taking place tomorrow on the campus of Marshall University. Leslie Dees Garvis joins us on the program. Now, she was only six months old when her father, Danny Dees, who is the charter coordinator for Southern Airways Flight 932, perished on that fateful day, November 14th, 1970. And she's in studio with us now. And thanks for joining us. Uh, appreciate you spending some time with us this evening. Well, thank you for having me. So you were only six months old when your father passed away. So you hear stories of... You know, people who knew their parents and lost them in, in this plane tra- tragedy. But we don't hear about the people who were left behind that maybe have no recollection whatsoever of their lost ones. And I think that what makes your story really a, a strong one, a unique one. You know, I think there's two parts to that. First of all, you don't have the memories, so you're always searching for the memories of somebody that you think you should know, you know, and everybody normally knows, but you don't. And the second part of it is you don't grieve because you didn't know them. So your grief gets extended to later years in life when you finally start getting to know the person that you lost. And then that's when you go through your moment of grief. Now, you've been pretty active. This isn't, uh, we hear stories all the time of people coming down for the fountain ceremony for the first time, discovering the fountain ceremony, making their, their pilgrimage to Huntington, whatever their journey is. But You've been pretty active as far as keeping the memory alive of not just your father, but everyone else who perished on that flight. Well, and I think that's part that's been part of my journey Um, and not to give too much away from my speech tomorrow. But, you know, in trying to find your father, you're trying to find yourself as well. And I wanted to do something to honor their memory. And the best thing that I could do was make sure that they're never forgotten. And coming here the first time in 2014 and and meeting everybody, I've told people that I wasn't sure I'd be welcome here, you know, because I was flight crew family and you wasn't, you weren't sure, you know, how people respond to you. And I felt overwhelming love and everybody opened their arms. Um, It was almost as if what took you so long is kind of how I felt, you know, when I finally got here and I felt like I found my family, you know, it was like finding my own family. I think it's important because I've always thought over the years, because I was born a few months after the plane crash. So you know, it was something that I've just known about growing up with. Uh, same with you. You know, you just right. knew about it. You grew up with it. But, you know, we were children. We were mere, you know, babies when it happened. But I always thought, well, there's more here because when we say we honor the 75, I don't know if a lot of people still realize that there's a lot more than just the football team. You see the photo of the team picture that always pops up and you want to remember the coaches and the staff. But there were a lot of other people who were on that flight as well. So I think your story helps accentuate the fact that, yeah, the Marshall team lost its its family, but there's an extended family there as well that sometimes maybe indirectly we forget. Right. 
Right. Agree. Um, and I think that my goal has been not to only make sure they're remembered, but to make sure they're remembered as the people that they were, that, you know, they're they're not just a tragedy. They're not a movie. They're not a name that you see. They were our fathers, our mothers, our brothers, you know, sisters, grandparents. And my goal has been to make sure they've been remembered for the people that they were. And, you know, that's why the Facebook page that I started, the Memorial Facebook page, people, when I post a picture of someone on there that was lost in the crash, I have so many people that come on there and they say, oh, I remember them, they were my doctor, or I remember they delivered my children. It was all these things about how these personal stories, and that's been what's important to me. To me, that's how they're remembered is telling their personal stories, not just the the, the whole story in general of the crash, but their personal individual stories. Leslie Dees Garvis is with us, and the Facebook page she's referring to is Southern Flight 932 Memorial 75. It's a Facebook page. You started a few years ago, right? Correct. Correct. Um, what possessed you to do that? Um, was it just this was the perfect outlet for you? Um, yeah, it, w- it was a way that I could give them a voice, basically, I guess. Um, without them being around, it was a way that I could make sure that they were remembered. Um, and it took off. I was just shocked at how many people just, you know, started following it. We have almost 5,000 people following it now. And it finally got some of the family members, and I've been able to connect with quite a few of the family members. I also have a private page just for the family, so I kind of draw them into that and, and have made so many connections on it. And, and I just feel like it's a place where we can all share and keep keep their memories alive. And I'm a big herd supporter, too, so every time we have season, I'm always posting the scores from the games on there and, you know, keeping uh, keeping that going and keeping everybody interested in it, keeping that electricity going around that. You mentioned it's, it's taken off now, but did you find it hard in the beginning to try to get people to maybe connect or just to find the people? It's a lot easier when you're here in Huntington, you know a lot of the families, but with so many who were not part of the Marshall football team itself, I'm sure it was really hard just trying to get people find them, connect with them. You know, once I connected with a few people like Lucy Ann, you know, Katz, and a few of the people um, that were part of the family that I knew, it just kind of spread from there. And I really didn't do a lot to promote it. It just kind of took off, you know, but it took off, I think, greater than I ever expected it to, to take off. So I don't want to spoil the keynote tomorrow because I'm sure you're going to talk about your dad and, and a lot of that. But uh, just to maybe get a sneak preview, uh, tell us about your dad because we know a little bit of your story. But until tomorrow, we're really not that familiar with your father's story. Very true. Very true. Um, my dad was the type of person that never met a stranger. And the it's interesting to me that 48 years later, people still remember him. They still remember his smile. They still remember his kindness. Um, and they've just never forgotten who he was. And he was the type of person that went out of his way to help people. And um, I just hope that I can live up to his legacy and be the kind of person that he was. And all of this is based on what your family has told your friends and uh, his former co-workers. I've had a lot of his former co-workers um, call me, um, want to talk about my dad. I actually had one send me the December 1970 Southern Air um, that had the crash story in it and bios of all of the crew members in it. They actually sent me their copy, and that meant so much to me that they were willing to part with their original copy of something that meant so much to them. Yeah, that's interesting because we think of this tight-knit group, but there's such a larger network out there. There uh, is. There is. And with your father, there are people we probably will never meet that there's a story they have that, you know, we'll never know or hopefully we'll get to hear. We just haven't heard it yet because each individual person has a story. Right. 
And I've been trying to get them to come over the years and invited several of them. Um, but I find just like the people in Huntington, it's hard for the Southern family to talk about it as well. Even this many years later, you know, reaching out to try to get to know the, the five crew members, people knew them and they'll tell me what they are, but they just really don't want to talk about it still. So even within just like the, the Marshall community here in Huntington, there are so many people within the Southern community that still, they still keep in touch. I mean, they still have Christmas parties and get together every year, all these years later and Southern isn't even around anymore. Um, but people forget that College Park, Georgia, is was right near the airport in Atlanta. That's where a lot of the crew members lived and where, that's where they were based. So just like the Marshall community and the Huntington community was struck by this tragedy, you also had this other smaller community that was mostly airline people that was struck by the tragedy as well. Leslie Dees Garvis joins us on the program. She's going to be the keynote speaker tomorrow at the Memorial Fountain Ceremony and. She's talking about her father, who she never had the really opportunity to grow up and know, just six months old when he perished. And it's fascinating to hear that there's this larger network and these these family members who are still trying to deal with that grief in their own way. You've been more of a proactive person. You've taken it head on. This is more of a, a path of discovery for you. Are there any other people who are in a similar situation to you? I mean, we know that you grew up not having a father and not knowing a father, but for some of those Southern employees, um, were there people just like you left behind or you know, what were their situations like? Um, the pilot and co-pilot both had children. Um, the co-pilot's son was about my age. Um, so we, we were the, probably the two that did, didn't you know, know our fathers. Um, the pilot's children were a little bit older, so they kind of have memories. But I, it's very hard for them. You know, it's very hard for them to talk about it. Um, but, yeah, it's, we all deal with it in different ways. And um, they're very private, and I'm very protective of them, to be, to be honest. Um, but I really want them to come. I really want them to, to see um, how much the Marshall community embraces them. And, and I think that's been the biggest thing for me. One of the flight attendant's um, brothers came a couple years ago, and he was overwhelmed at the love that he felt from, from the community here in Huntington. The kind, of, kind of like I did. You know, he wasn't sure what to expect. Overwhelmed him but of the love that he felt and helped him deal with his grief. There was a situation a few years ago uh, where a, a student marshal wrote an editorial in the Parthenon just talking about how the ceremony should end. And uh, we had him on the show, and I was pretty mean to him. Probably in hindsight, I should have been a little kinder to him, but I was pretty mean to him. But my whole argument was, and you're living proof of that, is this ceremony isn't for you necessarily. I mean, you you can partake in it and be a part of it, and you'll be welcomed into the ceremony. But uh, this ceremony is there because I can't tell you how to grieve. And I know that there's a ceremony here for people who are still affected by this, that there's an opportunity for them to connect with people maybe that one day they're going to wake up and want to make that journey. And it's good to know that this ceremony is still here because when did you've been pretty proactive, but when was your first real connection? Actually, I visited the campus when I was 18. It was my very first time. Um, I had been told that there were scholarships for the children, and I came to Marshall, and Marshall was the place I always wanted to go. I always wanted to come to Marshall, and unfortunately, it didn't work out at the time, Um, but I will tell you, in 2014, I actually became a distance student at Marshall, and I'm working on getting my degree at Marshall, and that's been a dream of a lifetime for me to actually, even though I'm a a daughter of Marshall, and everyone tells me that, I feel like I'm officially one now, that I'm part of the actual college, too. So it means even more to me that it's remembered. Um, it's it's our beacon of hope. I mean, it's the, it, the fountain ceremony 
is what gets us through the anniversary every year. And to think that that would end just is something I think that we could never fathom happening. And, and honestly, we're going to make sure it never happens. It's going to keep going for many years. Leslie Dees Garvis is joining us on the program. She's going to be the keynote speaker for tomorrow's fountain ceremony. And that's a great point that the fountain ceremony helps you get through because for a lot of people, they get to this time and it's pretty somber for them, probably still for those families who haven't reached out and connected. And I think that's a great point to bring up that, okay, this is not more not just turning the fountain on. We're not just remembering. This is really, hey, we're all coming together because we need to. We need to get together once a year because this still is with us. Um, even all this time later, 47, 48, 49, 50, onward and onward, uh, we don't know how long this is going to last for a lot of people. This could last uh, for another 20, 30, 40 years for some of the affected families. Right, and that's why it's so important that each next generation knows the story, knows how important it is, and continues on. And, and I had one defining moment when I was contacting Cruz family several years ago that I think was my inspiration and what really spurred me to, to make sure that memories um, are never forgotten. I talked to a family member of one of the flight attendants, and I called a friend of mine crying after I got off the phone with them because their comment to me was, oh, that's been such a long time ago that we just moved on and we don't talk about her anymore. And that just killed me to think that these people that are so precious that we wish we had back, that they weren't even talking about them anymore. And I made sure that my goal in life after that was to make sure that we all talked, that somebody was talking about that person. If it wasn't that particular family member, that we were talking about them and we were remembering them. And I think that's that was one inspiration moment for me that just spurred me on to make sure that they are never forgotten. What are your hopes past what you're doing now? You've got the social media, the Facebook page. You're going to speak tomorrow. That's going to touch a lot of people. But are you hoping that eventually you can do something a little bit more permanent? I don't know, write a book, do something that, you know, when you're gone, when I'm gone, when folks like Steve Chapman, who's in studio with us, who's a big part of what happens with uh, events like this, uh, when we're all gone, that there's something right here. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I thought about it a lot. Um, I have long term. I'm still thinking about that. Um, on short term, um, Lucian um, Catscall had contacted me about trying to find pictures. And in doing the mist of finding these pictures, I came across the 9-11 memorial. And they originally started with a website. And on the website, um, you could click on pictures and there were personal stories about each person. So from that point on, when I saw that, it really made me want to put together a book, and we're hoping to, maybe for the 50th, to kind of roll this book out, that it's pictures of each person, but not just the photos that you see. I'd love to have the family members give me their personal favorite photos of them, give me their personal stories. That's the kind of thing that I would like to see live on, a memorial book that talks about each individual person, their hopes and their dreams, and who they were as a person. Would you like to do something as well, maybe a little something smaller just about your personal experience and, you know, your father not, you know, the, the whole thing is important to have something like that, but would you want to try to do something as well? Just something, you know, for your father. You know, on a personal standpoint, I haven't really thought about doing something personal. I think that, to me, it's bigger than just my dad. 
you know, and, and I would rather do something for every one of them. You know, obviously I'll have a tribute part for my dad in it, but no, I'd rather, I'd rather do it for all of them, you know, because they're, they're all a family. Joining us on the program, we've got Leslie Dees Garvis. She's going to speak tomorrow at the Memorial Fountain Ceremony on the campus of Marshall University, and uh, she's going to be a big part of that and uh, tell her story from probably a point of view that we really haven't heard much of. And for a lot of people, this will probably be new for the first time knowing this story because our basis for this, for those who were here in Huntington, grew up with this, we know the story. For a lot of people, the story began when they watched the movie We Are Marshall. And uh, while that was a great movie, maybe just doesn't tell the entire story. Right. I agree. I agree. They did a great job with the movie. I, I, um, I watch it often. Uh, it's not easy to watch, um, but it's one of the things that keeps their memory alive. And, um, you know, they didn't – the movie obviously was about the football team and going forward. And, and, you know, the individual stories were told, but they, like you said – there were more than just the football team. There were so many fans. There was the crew. And that's the story I want to tell. I want to tell their story. Now, I can't spoil the keynote, but uh, that's uh, coming up tomorrow. You're going to hear all of this and more. Uh, can you spoil just a little bit more? Just uh, just give me something to entice people. You know, I, I, I think all these years we always hear 75. You never hear 70 and 5. You hear 75. And I want to tell about those five that make up that 75. And, and, and that's my goal tomorrow, is to tell a little bit about the 75 with the five that people don't really know. That's coming up tomorrow, Fountain Ceremony, and uh, that's not going to be the end of uh, your journey. It's been pretty much a whirlwind. I'm just kind of curious. So what has been the journey like for you? Because now you're the keynote speaker, so that means you've been everywhere so far around taking a look at things, talking to people for the first time. Uh, so I'm sure a lot of doors have opened up for you now that you're the keynote speaker for the ceremony. You know, it, it's it's overwhelming. I think my first visit here probably was my most overwhelming um, because it was my first experience with all of it. But I'm so focused on them that I really have a hard time looking at what it is for me, you know, because that's not what it's about to me. It's not about my experience. It's about our experience. And um, I, I am so honored to have this opportunity to talk about my dad and to talk about the five group members. Well, I appreciate you spending the time with me. Uh, it's been a pleasure to meet you and uh, hear your story. And, and it's some small part for me to get to help you tell it a little bit. And hopefully we can do that more and more as uh, the years progress, not just have this a one-time thing. We, uh, we hear from you a little bit more often than once a year. Absolutely. And thank you so much for having me here. You are a big part of helping me keep their memory alive. And I appreciate that. I appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, Leslie Dees Garvis joins us. She'll be the keynote speaker tomorrow's fountain ceremony. And it's, uh, it's going to be a pretty big deal for, uh, for a lot of people. This will be a story that for the majority of us we've never heard. So uh, there will be an opportunity for people tomorrow to uh, hear uh, a new story. And it's amazing we're hearing new stories still after all this time. So, Leslie, thanks for coming in. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. We're going to take our first break, come back. Uh, we're going to talk about the, the one thing that I'm sure that would make the 70 plus the 5 really happy is uh, we've got a football game to get into. And so we're going to talk about that. Doc Holliday's comments when we continue with this edition of The Drive, presented by Belltone Hearing Aid Center on ESPN 94.1 FM and AM 930. Now back to The Drive with Paul Swan on ESPN 94.1 FM and AM 930. 
Welcome back to the Tuesday, November 13th edition. The drive continues on ESPN 94.1 FM and AM 930. We are presented by Belltone Hearing Aid Center. Football game coming up. Thundering Herd taking on UTSA. That'll be Saturday at Jones C. Edwards Stadium. Final home game for the Thundering Herd. Lots of seniors to talk about. We'll, we're not going to really get into them individually because uh, that's going to take a, a long while to do those guys justice. So we'll talk about them throughout the week. But uh, Doc Holliday, earlier at his press conference today, we got his opening statement. Uh, he told us a little bit about what's coming up this week. Announced his starters, and of course, senior-laden starters. We'll hear from later on Ryan B., Chase Hancock, get their thoughts on senior day coming up. But here's Doc Holliday's opening statement from earlier this afternoon. Okay, our, our captains this week uh, being senior day and guys going out for the last time uh, will also be four seniors. Uh, we'll start on offense with Jordan Dowry. And uh, we've got Jordan Dowry on off- offense along with Marcel Williams. On defense, we've got Ryan B. along with Chase Hancock. So, you know, four guys have played a lot of football for us. Uh, and we got a total of 18 seniors that will walk out uh, on Saturday. They've got they've done a great job while they were here. So I know we're looking forward to, to playing, and uh, I know they are too. So we're excited about the game. Uh, just really, just quickly, really proud of our players. I thought that was – Maybe one of the neatest, not not maybe, the, probably the most uh, impactful thing that I've ever been a part of is when those ex-players came back and joined us prior to that last game and walked out on that field, uh, of course, led by Red Dawson. And that was just a neat moment that uh, really proud of, proud of the way our players responded. And now it's time to move on to senior day and, uh, and find a way to play a great game for these guys and send them out the right way. One of the questions asked of Doc this week was just to talk about playing two emotional games. You've got senior day. And you've also got the game last week, the game that honored the plane crash victims. And you got the fountain ceremony right in the middle of all this. So Doc was asked about playing two emotional games back-to-back. Yeah, there's no question. I mean, anytime you, you, you play your, you know, your last game here at the, at, the, at the Joan, which these guys are, it is emotional for the seniors. And it's also very important that the young guys, you know, they, they got great respect for the seniors, what they've done here, what they've accomplished. And, you know, a lot of these guys, this will be their fourth bowl that they'll go to and accomplish a lot of things, and uh, so it's important that we send them out the right way. Question I asked, Doc, it's kind of curious if he could tell me what stood out the most with the senior class. Well, yeah, I mean, it's each, you know, individually, it's it's a little different for each of them, you know, but uh, you, I really don't want to get into, I mean, like Ryan B., for example, you know, you think of toughness, you think of... Uh, number one, are good players, some really good players in that bunch. You know, Marcel Williams and all of them. I hate that. I don't want to keep mentioning individual names. I need to talk about all 18 of them, which we don't have time to do at this point. But uh, they all brought something different to the table. They all, you know, ki- kids today. And, I mean, you know, a lot of kids don't hang in there and, and, and finish things. And, and the great thing about the all 18 of them are graduating. You know, they're all 18 going to walk out here with their degree, which is the most important thing because they're going to have to go to work sooner or later, and uh, like we all had to do. So, It'll be a lot easier on them because I'm just probably the most thing I'm proud of is is that all 18 of those guys will walk out of here with a college degree, which which is huge. Just to follow up on that a little bit, the question was asked of Doc: How unique is this class? No question. You know, like I said, kids today. I mean, gosh, you look. I don't want to get into numbers, but uh, you know, you, with this new transfer rules and everything they got going right now, you look around the country and. And there's, I'm not going to mention teams, but there's teams out there right now that have 23-plus players on transfer lists. I mean, it's crazy what's happening out there with these kids. And 
I think I don't think it's good at all. I think uh, you know the number one thing I've, I've mentioned before. You, you talk about the number one thing I think football and athletics in general teach these kids is overcoming adversity, which is the most important thing in life, and not running from challenges and and facing things head on, find a way to get through things, and that's what life's all about. And you know these kids, these 18 have done that. You know we've had some ups, we've had some downs, we've had some great moments and had some not so great moments. But at the end of the day, they stuck it out. And they. Uh, Overcame all the adversity that they faced, and they're walking out here with a college degree. And and uh, you know, and, and we got we got we got we got a lot of football left to play this year. We got to make sure we finish things the right way. That's a good point. Uh, there's talk of nothing to play for. No, there's still a lot to go and get. And the Thundering Herd have got to do that, starting with UTSA and then FIU and then the bowl game, of course. But onto that game itself, Marshall and UTSA. This is going to be an interesting game because defensively, the Thundering Herd's gotten a lot better. Offensively, there have been some struggles for UTSA. If you go back to that FIU game, UTSA really couldn't do anything with FIU. So Doc was asked, what do you need to do to keep UTSA's offense struggling? They've had some issues at quarterback, you know, and and uh, they've played a couple different guys. You know, they had some injuries at that position, and you know, anytime you've got some insta, anytime you're, you know, you're not consistent at the quarterback position, you struggle a little bit normally, and uh, that's what's happened. But they've got some talented, talented guys. I mean, you turn on that tape, and and uh, you know, I know you you think I, I, I'm like this every week, but they got as good of receivers as, as we got in our league. I mean, just watch them. I mean, they're athletic. They're they've got running backs. Uh, you know, they've got the offensive line solid. The quarterback play has been a little inconsistent, but they've got talent at that position. So. You just got to hope defensively that we can keep that quarterback, uh, you know, under control and not let him start getting confidence and making plays. And, you know, defensively they got maybe the top. Uh, you're going to have to pronounce his name. I tried to get earlier on, but that linebacker is, is a good player. You know, the, you know, the Mike Backer, he's all over the place. Steve will help me with that. But uh, he's, a, he's a really good player. And they got, uh, like I say, up front, they, they're one of their defensive linemen last year. He's gone now, thank goodness. But he's one of the top ten players picked in the draft. So, you know, they got some good players back on defense. and. Uh, we just got to make sure that uh, that we're prepared. We have a great week of preparation, and, and we go out there and play really hard. Now, turnovers last week were in favor of the Thundering Herd. A couple weeks ago, turnovers doomed the herd. So the question to Doc was, are turnovers, again, going to be an emphasis this week? That's an emphasis every week. You know, every time we've done that, we've won. You know, and uh, last week was no exception. I mean, you look at the field position from that last week, uh, you know, we were talking in our meeting Monday morning that uh, you know just with our punt our punt team versus their punt team, uh, you know we started like the plus forty yard line, not exactly there, but they, they were like at the minus nineteen. So anytime you can have that differential in your in your kicking game as far as field position is concerned, then you gotta it's going to help you offensively. There's no question. Shorter fields are are, are will help an offense uh, anytime you can get that. And finally. Doc was asked about the chance for too much emotion because not only do you have the fountain ceremonies we talked about earlier, you have senior day, you have the recent passing of Devin Rockhead Johnson. So there are a lot of emotions going on right now. There are some things that are bringing people down. And so the question to Doc was, is there a chance for too much emotion? Well, you got to lock in. I mean, I thought our kids did a nice job of that. You know, uh, you know, I thought early on in that game this past week, you know, our defense came out, we're on their heels a little bit, and a lot of that may have been with the emotion of, because after that first drive, I think they had 88 total yards or something offensively. So, they, you know, they were, they were able to adjust and, and come back from that. But, 
you know, you just got you got to go play. And I mean, there's a lot of uh, you know, Sunday was a tough day with that. We, we've had a, we've had a tough year here. I mean, with with everything that's happened, and uh, there's a lot a lot of emotion. And but we've got to you know, you got to you just got to be prepared when your time comes to go play and go coach and, and take care of your. But you got a job to do. You know, I got a job to do as a head coach. And regardless of what all the responsibilities are during the week, when that foot hits the ball on Saturday, uh, as coaches and players, we got to be ready to go because if you don't, you're going to get beat. That's Doc Holliday from earlier this afternoon. When we come back from break, we'll have a little of uh, Ryan B. We'll get some of his feedback. Chase Hancock as well. Emotional time for these kids as Senior Day is fast approaching. An opportunity to see these guys one more time at Jones C. Edwards Stadium. That's coming up on Saturday. If you can't make the game, uh, that's going to be tough for you. But I do have an alternative for you. If you can't make the game, you can listen to it right here on ESPN 94.1 FM and AM 930. You're listening to The Drive with Paul Swan, presented by Beltone Hearing Aid Center on ESPN 94.1 FM at AM 930. Welcome back. November 13th edition of The Drive here on ESPN 94.1 FM and AM 930. Just a program note, tomorrow we've got Marshall basketball, so there will not be a program tomorrow, but instead... We'll go on the air at 5.30 with our pregame coverage. You can catch that right here on ESPN, 94.1 FM and AM 9.30. Earlier today, I had a chance to catch up with Ryan B., Chase Hancock. Wanted to talk to these guys because this is an emotional time, really. It's a special time. Each guy will process it differently, but this is the final time that you're going to suit up and play a game at Jones C. Edwards Stadium. You'll still have some games left, but this is it. This is the last opportunity for you to play in front of the home crowd, and hopefully there's a great crowd on Saturday to send these guys off, and that hopefully will be a win for the Thundering Herd. But that's later. We'll talk about that when we talk about that. Now we just want to kind of get a feel from these guys, uh, what their time has meant here at Marshall University. And that was one thing I asked Ryan B. earlier today. I just wanted to get from him what stood out from his time at Marshall University? More just how much we've grown, you know, as a team. Uh, you know, when I first came in here, I was young, and um, you know, like the Jarquezes and Rouses and stuff. They, uh, um, I just looked up to them so much, and uh, I just feel like I did everything I could to um, kind of fill in that role and uh, just keep this team together and, and uh, um, keep it a brotherhood. I kind of wanted him to nail down for me a little bit. Just give me your favorite memory at the Joe, and he came up with something pretty good. Probably, honestly, back my redshirt freshman year, we were playing ODU. That was kind of my breakout game or whatever when I finally started playing a lot, and uh, um, that's when I earned that starting role. So that's, that had to be my favorite time probably. Uh, you know they got they got uh, good wide receivers, a big back. Um, he's gonna run through tackles. Another another good back. They got a uh, kind of corral and and gang tackle to get him on the ground. You know they got uh, two seniors back on the offensive line. Uh, a couple new guys in there, but they. Uh, um, I mean the record doesn't show up. There's they're still a solid team. You know we're gonna get their best shot, and uh, and we know that uh, in preparation this week. Now, the Thundering Herd's been pretty solid the last few weeks on defense, especially against the run. Some of the better running backs in Conference USA have failed to have success against Marshall. 
The question was asked of Ryan, what does the defense need to do to stop the run, make that a factor again? Just, just run into the ball, you know. Uh, the, the biggest thing, like in practice, we uh, always make it a, um, an effort to, to sprint to the ball until the whistle's blown, you know, touch it. And, uh, and that's, that helps, you know, rally around them and kind of gang tackle them. That's, that's the biggest thing we've um, thought about going into these weeks with these good backs. We're going to keep it this week. Now another guy we're going to miss is Chase Hancock. Chase is always good to talk to, and we're going to miss these times. He's one of those guys where we'd make a special trip. We accommodate his schedule. Mr. Hancock's schedule was on Tuesday, but we accommodated him, and it was always worth it. And I wanted to find out from him. I was talking to him early before we get to the sound cuts, just kind of get his feelings for, you know, what's it going to be like at senior week. And he, he smiled because he was glad I said that. It, it kind of made him feel like he was back in high school. But I just want to get from him what the week was like so far. It still hasn't hit me yet, really. I don't think it's going to hit me until I – don't, I don't even think it's going to hit me on senior day. I don't think it's going to hit me until the, the last game, you know, the, the bowl game, right? put my cleats up for the final time. You know, I can't wear Marshall's I, – I will not be a part of Marshall, you know, the Marshall team anymore. And um, so I don't think it will hit me until then. I also wanted to kind of get his memories at Marshall, and here's what he said. I don't know. I guess just looking around and seeing my, you know, my boys make plays and um, just – the atmospheres that I've played in, you know, the, the huge games, you know, Purdue, we played Purdue, we played Louisville, we went to play, we played Pitt. Like, those are things that I'll, I'll never forget. And, of course, I wanted to know, if he could, give me your favorite memory at the Joan. Here's his reply to that. I guess my favorite, I always say this, but my favorite, I sacked Lamar Jackson. He was the Heisman Trophy winner. I, I called it, too, so I, I think that's my fondest memory. And and just knowing that, you know, I, I was able to compete with those guys, it makes me, you know, feel really good. I was not expecting that. That was a great memory from the Joan. Hey, I, I sacked the Heisman Trophy winner. I got him. That's a good memory. Now, Speaking of dominating people like he did in that game, the question was asked of Chase, how did it feel to dominate Charlotte after that opening drive? And here's his response. I think we were just uh, trying to get a feel for what they were doing. And, um, you know, we made some adjustments on the sideline. And um, we knew that it was going to be a long game. and it, Or it had the potential to be a long game. And we, that was just a part of the adversity that, you know, Coach Doc always talks about. And, um, you know, we just regained our composure, made a few adjustments, and then went back out there and played. And that's, that's all you can do. You know, that might happen. Um, but, you know, just go back out there and keep playing. That's, that's the most important thing. Chase's thoughts on UTSA. From his point of view, here's what they look like. The running backs run really well. Uh, they run hard. He's a true freshman. Uh, he stands out to me. Um, you know, the quarterback, he's not afraid to run. Um, you know, they're kind of mixing the quarterbacks up. And I think we see that week to week. You know, we think this quarterback's going to play there or this quarterback's going to play. And um, so I, I don't know. We'll see. One of them is hurt. So he, he has the potential to play. Um, just prepare for all of them and 
Um, yeah, just just be ready for for anything that they throw at us. That's always the best strategy. Just be ready for anything they throw at us. I try to be that way. We all try to be that way. But that's actually a, it's a good thought because any plan you put together will will change when it, it makes contact with the other guy. That's all you need to know. Now, Marshall, as we've talked about, have been really good. The Thundering Herd's been very good at stopping key guys, getting the big star, the big stud, the guy who's supposed to run over the herd, making make, making him no. you got to work for that, and even then you didn't get anything. So Chase was asked, hey, how, what's the importance of this, taking away those key guys, those key players, stopping that run? I mean, it's an absolute game changer when you, when you can take away their, their key players. And um, they, they beat us last year, and it, it wasn't enough. So that's also in our mind that whatever we did last year, this is a new year. We've got to make sure we take care of business and, and don't let them stick around and you know, make sure we create turnovers uh, for our offense to, to, to work with. So um, I think it's very important that we you know, shut down every aspect of their run game, of their pass game, everything that they, that they throw at us. That's Chase Hancock from earlier this afternoon. When we come back from break, we'll take a quick look at basketball coming up tomorrow. Again, programming note, we will not have a show tomorrow, but instead we'll go on the air 530 with our pregame coverage, Marshall Basketball, right here on ESPN 94.1 FM and AF 930. we got more on the way. You're listening to The Drive, presented by Beltone Hearing Aid Center. We are presented by Beltone Hearing Aid Center. I'm your host, Paul Swan. This is The Drive on ESPN 94.1 FM and AM 930. So tomorrow we've got Marshall basketball coming up. Again, programming note, won't be here tomorrow for the regular show, but we will be here for the pregame. Marshall taking on Mount St. Mary's. We'll have that for you coming up tomorrow night. We go on the air 530 right here on ESPN 94.1 FM and AM 930. So big news today. Okay, you you tell me how big it is. ESPN Events, which is part of ESPN, they're adding another bowl game to the roster. Another bowl game, which will begin in 2020. They are creating the Myrtle Beach Bowl. This is going to be a feature matchup with three conference partners. You're going to have Conference USA, Mid-American Conference, and Sunbelt Conference. Each conference will participate up to four times between 2020 and 2025. So you're going to have matchups from three conferences, Conference USA, the MAC, the Sunbelt, and I guarantee you, I guarantee you, 2020 rolls around the thundering herd, bowl eligible, Maybe your conference champion. I don't know. I can't predict that far. But 2020 rolls around. Marshall will be the first team from Conference USA. Go to this game. And then you're going to go down to the Myrtle Beach Bowl because you've got a room already down there. As this is the second home of people from the state of West Virginia. One hand, you can travel to it. On the other hand, you can travel to it, and everyone already travels to Myrtle Beach. So this isn't going to be hard to get to. Ticket prices are going to be ridiculous because, well, come on. This is second home. 
I think they were targeting Marshall when they made this thing. They're thinking, okay, there's a possibility we could have uh, Marshall in this thing on a, on a yearly basis. Biannual, we could have them here. So the Myrtle Beach Bowl is going to be played at Brooks Stadium, which is located on the campus of my adopted university, my second favorite university, Coastal Carolina, just because I like the name. And, of course, it will be on ESPN, some of their networks, one of them. I don't think it's going to be a plus bowl, but it will be on some national version of ESPN. So there you go. The Myrtle Beach Bowl. Get your tickets now. Heck, there might be people just going anyway because you can get to it. Don't have a date for this one just yet, but I'm kind of I'm kind of already thinking this is going to be uh, a game in which herd fans, if they're in it, will dominate the crowd. I know some of the guys in the uh, media scrum today were joking around, so I can't take full credit for this. But what if this game featured Marshall and West Virginia? How crazy would that be? Because, of course, this is the second home for all of West Virginia. Myrtle Beach, South Carolina should just be annexed by the state of West Virginia. I don't know how that would work with the uh, interstate laws and the the land in between, but it should be like a colony. Myrtle Beach should be a colony of the state of West Virginia. It's like a destination that Mountaineer fans and Marshall fans are way familiar with. So there you go. Myrtle Beach Bowl coming up. You know you're going. Heard's name called for this. You're going and you're going to love it because all you have to do is get in the car and go. Don't you wish they all were like that? Just get in the car and go. It's a road trip. It's a It's a road trip. You don't have to worry about those fancy accommodations. You just get in that car and you go. And you be there just in time for the tailgate lot to open up and you tailgate and you cheer on the herd. You might want to get a room on the way back unless you want to just go back. But you can see this is a bowl that is herd fan friendly. Nothing wrong with that. Tomorrow, Marshall Basketball. Also, tomorrow is the fountain ceremony on the campus. It's going to be an emotional time coming up tomorrow for a lot of people. We'll be here for the pregame of the basketball game starting at 5.30. Postgame will follow that, and we'll talk a little bit about what happened uh, tomorrow on the show. Again, programming note, uh, pregame only, no regular show, so pregame at 5.30. Uh, We're looking forward to um, seeing all of you tomorrow at the Cam Henderson Center as the Thundering Herd taking on. I hope this game is just as good as the one we got against Hofstra. They got Mount St. Mary's, and they were competitive with Hofstra, so I hope this is a good one too, so we'll find out. I want to thank our producer, Gabriel Sellers. Also, um, Steve Chapman, always want to thank him because – he uh, takes great care of me, and uh, he was very helpful in getting Leslie Dees Garvis on the program. So I want to thank him and, of course, Leslie Dees Garvis for sharing her story. I'm Paul Swan. This has been The Drive, presented by Belltone Hearing Aid Center. WRBC Huntington, W227BS Huntington, ESPN 94.1 FM and AM 930. Huntington Sports Station.